Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Grind the True Crimes with your host, Maddie Mack, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gabb. I guess you're good. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime podcast with your host, Maddie Mack, along with our narrator for today. And the other host of the show, Todd Fox. And we are here live, bringing down another story of part two of the Ted Bundy story. Um, if you didn't hear the first part, you know where you can find us on our page, Facebook and Instagram page, um, Grinding True Crime Podcast. Please follow us and follow our page and like our page. Thank you for support for those who do. Also, if you want to listen to us on the uh, podcast station, just go to Spotify, iTunes, Anchor. Uh, Pandora, all those, all those streams, and you can listen to some of our previous recording as well. With all that being said, viewer, I'm, I'm sorry, listener discretion is advised because this part, part two, I believe, is going to be a little more graphic in describing some of the killing that Ted Bundy has done. I know we touched on it on part one last week, but. I believe this part's going to be a little more detailed. So listeners' discretion is advised. (sighs) I got that out the way. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Gabby so she can do part two of the Ted Bunny story. Thank you. So last week we left off um, with the shocking news that Bundy, during the times he started killing, was working on the... Um, in Olympia as the assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. Mm-hmm. And remember, he wrote a pamphlet for women on rape prevention. What a, he's out there raping women. What a hypocrite. <laughs> so this is where later, remember, he worked at the Department of Emergency Services. Mm-hmm. And that's where he met Carol Ann Boone. Carol Ann Boone. So we're going to find out later how she plays out in his story. But we were warned that she did play a very important role in the final phase of his life. Oh. So we will continue on. There were reports of six missing women and Sparks' brutal beating appeared prominently in the newspapers now. Oh. On television throughout Washington and Oregon. So people started getting fearful finally. Hitchhiking by young women dropped sharply. So oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Pressure mounted on the law enforcement agencies, but they didn't have much evidence. So, since they had been like severely hampered, they couldn't provide reporters with pretty much no information on the investigation. Mm-hmm. So, later on, they found more similarities between the victims. Um, they all took place at night, usually near ongoing construction work within a week of midterm or final exams. All of the victims were wearing slacks or blue jeans. And at most crime scenes, there were sightings of a man wearing a cast or a sling and driving a brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. 
Okay, so he's pretty much been. They know what his not necessarily what he looks like, but they get they got an idea of what he described. You know, he's wearing a cast. He know they know where his car is, is what, what he drives. Yeah. But yet they can't catch him. Yeah. Wow. So it's the same description, same car, and same thing with the man, Castro Sling, asking for help. But they still don't know much. The Pacific Northwest murders culminated July 14 with the broad daylight abductions of two women from a crowded beach. Oh, dang. Lake Sammamish State Park in Itaquah, a suburb 20 miles of Seattle. Five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling, speaking with a light accent, perhaps Canadian or British. He introduced himself as Ted. He asked their help in unloading a sailboat from his tan or bronze-colored Volkswagen Beetle. There you go. Four of them refused. One accompanied him as far as his car, saw there was no sailboat, and fled. Three additional witnesses said he approached Janice Ann 23, a probation case worker at the King County Juvenile Court with a sailboat story and watched her leave the beach in his company. Hmm. About four hours later, Denise Marie Naslin, a 19-year-old woman who was studying to become a computer programmer, left the picnic to go to the restroom and she never returned. Hmm. Bundy told both Stephen McCod and William Hagmere that Ott was still alive when he returned with Naslan. And then he forced one to watch as he murdered the other. Oh. But he later denied it in an interview with Lewis. I'm not going to mention the rest of that. So first he said that, but then he denied it. So who knows? So wait, so wait, so wait. He captured, he captured one and then he captured the other, right? Uh In the car. And they both were in the car. And... He killed one right in front of her. While the other one watched. Ooh. That sucks. <clears throat> those are those those BWs are cramped. How the hell do you get three people in there? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, especially back then, like, ooh. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, what do you guys think? He denied it later, but I think he did. Oh yeah, come on. You he, you don't come up with a story like that. that yeah. You know, they, there wasn't no movies back then that had a scene like that. So for him to come detailed, yeah. He, he knew. What do you think, Todd? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so too. Um, as creepy as that guy was, or he's, from what I'm hearing right now, he's not your typical serial killer. Like you know, he's he's got the intelligence, the look to play off a normal guy, and yeah. the fact that the other women actually it raised red flags and they saved their lives by not trusting him shows you how you know easy it was for him to get women over you know and and none of them still called the cops because they were like well he's creepy but he's cute you know and then being cute did you fall yeah and then these women just got caught in his web and dude he's oh man he's yeah i i believe he's as sinister as they come from what i know I, I didn't expect him to be good looking, according to what the women said. I, I'm telling you, I still have Al Bundy's head in my in my brain right he now. He ain't no so Al I'm Bundy, thinking, bro. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was like, wait. Maybe you gotta get married with children. I, I know. I, I, it's just when I hear the name Bundy, I think of 
you know, King Kong Bundy. I think people just not. A- <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, I, I didn't expect that. Okay, but, but I can see how he got. You know, he, he was pr- very persuasive. He had the charm, apparently. Ted Bundy was described to be the most charming of serial killers. Listen here, if he had a southern accent or a Cajun accent, I can understand because Gambit is my favorite character in the X Men, and he has a Cajun accent, and I'm not gay, but he's my favorite character. And I can see why the ladies will fall for him. So I get it. Hey, leave me alone, man. <laughs> <laughs> the silence signal. Someone likes Gambit. Hey, man. My favorite character. Stop. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. Continue. <laughs> anyway. So King County Police finally were armed with some details of him and his car. They started posting flyers throughout Seattle area. A composite sketch was printed in newspapers, broadcasted on television. Elizabeth Cloper and Rule, a DES employee and a UW psychology professor, all recognized the profile, mm-hmm. the sketch, and the car and reported Bundy as a possible suspect. Oh, wow. So they finally got a name. Yeah, he was recognized. But detectives who were receiving up to 200 tips per day thought it unlikely that a a law student with no adult criminal record could be the perpetrator. Here we go. Oh, yep. (laughs) Here we go. What, what, what we call that? What we call that nowadays, Todd? Privilege? (laughs) Yeah, some, some white privilege right there. Man. But this is this just goes to show you the police back then, you oh, know. Yeah. They're like Leroy Jackson. Too yeah, the, they're all. <laughs> Wait a minute, he's not a black guy and he's not a white guy on drugs. Down on his luck, ah, oh, this guy's good. Let him go. He can't be a killer. Come on now. I guarantee if his name is Leroy Jackson, they will need two tips. That's it. I know two hundred. <laughs> they wouldn't even use two tips. It'd be like one and a, like maybe a half of one. What's the description? Black. That's all I need. Let's go. <laughs> Get your billy clubs. They don't jump. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Freaking detectives. So, you know, even with all those tips, I'd be like, if he really resembles a particular person people already know, I, what, at least look into it. That's and what I'm he drives the car. That's what I'm saying. For somebody to tell you, hey, that's Bundy. Like, that's a name. Like, I know this person. And not even and go ahead. Oh no, I'm just saying. Not even what you were saying to, to follow what you're saying is they're saying Bundy, and the girls at the beach said Ted. So you've got his full freaking name. Exactly. <laughs> exactly that part. I didn't even get to that part. They got his full name, Ted Bundy. You got two hundred some tips, and then you're gonna sit here and say, "Come on, look." At well, they were getting 200 <laughs> tips per day, but they could have been different people. It don't matter if you... But the point is, they had the name, he has the car, look at the damn car. Exactly. Even if you don't believe him, just do a drive-by and look at the car and see in his parking lot that he's got the Volkswagen. And then... I mean, two, what... What I more mean, the cops do? I mean, do the cops need him to have like signatures on his cast from the women that he killed or something? I mean, right? Jeez. Yeah. Oh. Oh. So September sixth. Relax. Here we go. <laughs> just it just it, it, it irritates me 
because there's been several stories of incompetent cops. Every story has that. Jesus Christ. That, that is the reason they become serial killers and go on for years because of stupid cops. Yep. Yep. <sighs> so on September 6th, two grouse hunters stumbled across across a skeletal remains. To who? You said grouse hunters? Oh, grouse hunters. Okay. They stumbled across the remains of Ott and Naslin, the two girls, oh. near a service road in Isakwa, two miles east of the lake. An extra femur and several vertebrae found at the site were later identified by Bundy as Georgian Hawkins. Dang. Six months later, forestry students from Green River Community College discovered the skulls and mandibles of Healy, Rancourt, Parks, and Ball on Taylor Mountain. Wow. Where, the, where Bundy frequently hiked just east of Issaquah. Manson, wow. Manson's remains were never recovered. Oh, it probably got eaten up by you know, probably. coyotes or whatever. Throwing the bodies. So now we're going to get into three states, Idaho, Utah, and Colorado, because as you guys know, he didn't stay in one state. I don't know if you knew that, babe. No, apparently. Um, I didn't know. That's a shame because Issaquah is a beautiful area. Uh, you know that? Yeah, I've been up there. And uh, geez, Louise, man, if they're finding bodies like that, that sucks. Dang. So in August 1974, he received a second acceptance from the University of Utah Law School and moved to Salt Lake City, leaving Clover in Seattle. While he called her often, he dated at least a dozen other women. Well, when he studied the first year curriculum a second time, he was devastated to find out that the other students had something, some intellectual capacity that he did not. So they weren't as smart as him. He said he found the classes completely incomprehensible. It was a great disappointment to me. That's what he said. Wow. Okay, Mr. Fancy. Apparently, they were smarter than him, you know? That was not good. A new string of homicides began to follow the next month, including two that remained undiscovered until Bundy confessed to them. Later on, on September 2nd, he raped and strangled a still unidentified hitchhiker in Idaho. Mm. Then either he disposed of her remains immediately in a nearby river, or return the next day to photograph and dismember her. Oh, Jesus Christ. On October 2nd, he got a 16-year-old, Nancy Wilcox, uh. in holiday. Her remains were buried near Capitol Reef National Park, 200 miles away from south of holiday, but they were never found. Dang. Dang. He's got a bunch of bodies on him right now. Yeah. That's the thing I didn't know too much about Bundy is the fact that he dismembered too. He wasn't like your typical like strangulation rape type guys. Yeah. He, he did that kind of stuff too, that which sets him apart. You know, it's crazy. Yes, and something I didn't know that Matt will find out too that left me. I didn't know that either. I mean, you guys will see. Well, do tell. <laughs> On October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith, 17-year-old daughter of the police chief of Midvale. Oh, oh God after leaving a pizza parlor. Her nude body was found in a nearby mountainous area nine days later. Wow. Hey, did he know it was a chief? A police daughter? Uh, you know, I have no idea. Cause that's, a, that's a bold move. If he describes it, we'll find out. Okay. But I don't think he says anything about that. You, okay. I bet you that chief or, you know, a police probably had that 
crew working 24-7 for like oh, years, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's his girl, man. That yep. sucks. When it hits your own, then you do the job right. Well, did he do the job right? Or is that a spoiler alert? Um, it, You know, this part doesn't really say. It doesn't really say what if they actually, like, made a big effort to find her. Wow. Wow. But she was found nine days later. So... I guess that wasn't really good work, being the daughter of the chief of police. Nine days later, I would have had every city under lock, dude. Man, what, what you talking about, Todd? Nobody would come out. Nobody. Yeah, pretty much be worse than the Rona lockdowns. <laughs> Why you do that? Man? I'm just saying. I had to throw that in there. Sorry. Postmortem examination indicated that she probably remained alive for up to seven days. Oh. Damn. So when they found her. It was a little late. If they had found her a few days earlier, she might still be alive. What? So, well, yeah, I have a question. Or, or go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. So what I'm saying is, he strangled her, correct? He raped her, obviously. When he strangled her, did he? Well, I mean, did he? He presume her dead, and she just wasn't strong enough to find help, or she just? collapsed after walking so many miles and her body couldn't take it. Well, her and the next one I'm going to talk about, they were both beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. Whoa. So she must have gone unconscious where he didn't realize that she wasn't dead and he left her. But that's what I'm saying. Like, was she... Obviously, you're not physically well to, Well, no, you know, she was beaten... So I was I was under the impression when he first said that that she was held captive for seven days. But you're telling me she survived way out in the middle of nowhere for seven days after all that crap done to her? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. When they found her nine days later, it was pretty much the body was showing them that she had just died probably like two days before. So that means that for seven days she was alive. Yeah, because that's a big difference, nine days to two days. She probably wasn't conscious to the point of being able to do anything. That's what I'm saying. Like, she probably couldn't. She was but probably she immobile. Was still alive. Yeah, she, she was still breathing, but she couldn't She couldn't move. That's what I'm saying. Like, did, she, did he leave her there, and for seven days, she just stayed in the same spot, motionless? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I'm going to guess she died not because of her wounds. She died because she didn't eat. She I was saying so. Nothing. No yeah, water, no, no water, food. No food. Nobody went out there to, dang, that sucks, man. That's a terrible death. Yes. Just thinking in your head that you want to do something and you can't and nobody can help you. And she's that young, too, and that's in the middle of Utah, which Utah yeah. is very spacious. There's a lot. There's only a, a, a handful of big cities in Utah, basically, and the rest is all small, spread out. Yeah. In October, I mean, even though it's still – desert is i guess and mountains it still gets cold yep died of elements maybe more than anything. Mm-hmm. So she suffered she definitely suffered that sucks on october 31st laura ann amy who was also 17 disappeared 25 miles south of Lehi after leaving a cafe after midnight her naked body was found by hikers nine miles to the northeast in the american fork canyon on thanksgiving day so the same, just like um, 
Just like Melissa Ann, she was also raped, sodomized, beat, strangled. <sighs> so I want to mention something that Bundy said years later. He described his postmortem rituals with the corpses of Smith and Amy, including hair shampooing and application of makeup. What? Yeah. So he would shampoo the dead body? Yeah, after they were dead. He would shampoo them and put makeup on them. Look, man. What was the purpose of that? Yeah. I have no clue. I mean, he's twisted, obviously. I guess he wanted to go back to them, but he, I mean, they were dead, so he was probably trying to make them look alive. I guess. But this is what I'm saying. I had a hard time seeing my dead grandma. How are you going to touch a dead body? Like, like Because he doesn't have that. He Jesus. can kill somebody, so he doesn't have the stomach to worry about it. Yeah, I'm with Gabby on that. It takes a certain special type of person to um, like or ignore the obvious. I guess so, man. That is, that's sickening. Yeah, All it, of it brings him pleasure, so he's not going to be disgusted. That's true. That's true. In the late afternoon of November 8th, so we're jumping now eight days, mm-hmm. he approached an 18-year-old telephone operator Carol DeRanch at a fashion place mall uh, in a restaurant. The restaurant where Melissa Smith was last seen. So the same area, same spot. Mm-hmm. He identified himself as awesome. Oh, sorry. Awesome. <laughs> Officer Roseland of the Murray Police Department and he told her that someone had attempted to break into her car. He asked her to accompany him to the station to file a complaint. When she pointed out to Bundy that he was driving on the road that did not lead to the police station, he pulled to the shoulder and attempted to handcuff her. During the struggle, he fastened both handcuffs to the same wrist and she was able to open the car door and escape. Later that evening, Deborah Jean Kent, 17 year old student at Umont High School, north of Murray, disappeared after she left the theater production at school to pick up her brother. Wow. The school's drama teacher and the student told police that a stranger had asked each of them to come out to the parking lot to identify a car. Another student later saw the same man pacing in the rear of the auditorium, and the drama teacher spotted him again shortly before the end of the play. Outside the auditorium, investigators found the key that unlocked the handcuffs that were removed from Carol DeRange's wrists. So it's all piecing together now. They, this is the same person. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that this girl escaped. I mean, good for her. Good for her. The other ones. She actually struck. Oh, man. In November, Elizabeth Clover called King County Police a second time after reading that young women were disappearing in the town surrounding Salt Lake City. Detective Randy of Major Crimes Division interviewed her in detail, but by then Bundy had risen considerably to the King County hierarchy of suspicion. But the Lake's Sammamish witness, considered most reliable by detectives, failed to identify him from a photo lineup. In December, Clover, which you guys remember this was his longest girlfriend, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office and repeated her suspicions. Bundy's name was added to their list of suspects, but at the time, no credible forensic evidence linked him to the Utah crimes. 
In January 1975, Bundy returned to Seattle after his final exams, and then he spent a week with Popper, who did not tell him that she had reported him on three occasions. She made plans to visit him in Salt Lake City in August. Oh, so she about to set him up. That's crazy. You, you have a woman now who has been dating the man for years. Who better to know that mm-hmm. this is him than her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every single time, they don't have enough to link it to him, and they just ignore her suspicion. I mean, you have to have evidence to, you know, arrest somebody, right? Or link them to some, uh, crime. But I would still look into it. Just investigate them. Pull them, take them to the station, question them, something. I'm sure him, out of <clears throat> most suspects, fit it perfectly. So that's what I don't understand. You have people pointing the finger at him so much, especially his own girlfriend of years. Yeah, but they said that uh, the witnesses couldn't point him out. In the, the witness from the beach, yeah, she yeah. couldn't. So, like I said, police can't just say, well, we're going to throw you in jail because we think you did it. They have to have evidence, you know what I'm saying? So, But they didn't even look into it. That's my issue. Like, man, check his house. Look, you know, look at the reports. Go back on some of the tips you heard in the past. Like, come on. Yeah, I'm sure they would have found something in his car. They let this man slip. You know how many police uh, agencies or cases that have been worked over the years where if they just had a car, that lead is good enough to follow up and go to the DMV and search up records and try to get additional, um, you know, clues through through mm-hmm. driving records. Not mm-hmm. only did they have the cast, they had the car, they had the good looks. So, I mean, you're checking off one by one. It just keeps going. You have the girlfriend, you have the name, <laughs> and they're just like, well, let's just check on some other names first. <laughs> yeah, at this point, they could have had a warrant to search his vehicle. Yep. <sighs> Well, how they know he was good looking? Did they go up to him and say, yep, you are good looking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So in 1975, he shifted his criminal activity eastward from his base in Utah to Colorado. On January 12, a 23-year-old registered nurse named Karen Aileen Campbell disappeared while she was walking a well-lit hallway between the elevator and her room. At the will at the Wildwood Inn. Her nude body was found a month later next to a dirt road just outside of the resort. Gosh. She had been killed by blows to her head from a blunt instrument that left distinctive linear group depressions on her skull. Her Dang. body also bore deep cuts from a sharp weapon. Dang. He's so brutal. On March 15, 100 miles northeast of Snowmass. Bale ski instructor Julie Cunningham, 26, disappeared while she was walking from her apartment to a dinner date with a friend. Later on, we find out through Bundy that he approached her on crutches and asked her to help him carry his ski boots to his car, where he clubbed and where he clubbed and handcuffed her, then assaulted and strangled her at a secondary site near Rifle, 90 miles west of Bale. Weeks later, he made the six-hour drive from Salt Lake City to revisit her remains. Weeks later. Weeks. Can you... She was so decomposed by then. Yeah. My thing is... This is... Sorry. Go. No, my thing is, apparently, what he 
uses is working. Yes, but this is a very, uh, like, I'm not going to be offensive to the girl or anything, but anybody in their right mind, how are you going to help somebody carry their ski boots and he's on crutches? How the hell can he even ski? I mean, unless they have wheelchair skis. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's very observant. What do you think, Todd? Uh, I mean, it just makes it makes sense if you just think. I mean, granted, again, these weren't probably the smartest tools in the shed back then either, as far as these women are concerned. I mean, some of them were, but again, good looks. I mean, I don't know. I mean, kind of got to look at it too. Like, say for instance, as a shoe was on the other foot, and the woman is enticing the guy, and she's a serial killer. I'm pretty sure 90% more of men will would go for it, no matter if she had a knife or a chainsaw in her hand, just because she looks hot. But these, women, yeah, but these women are looking at this guy and and not seeing the obvious, like what Gabby's saying. You know, how is he supposed to ski with a cast and all this other stuff? So I mean, uh, I, I don't know yeah. what to say. Yeah. Like, I would have thought that'd be fishy. If somebody asked me, and I'm looking at the man in crutches, and he needs help to carry his skis, like, uh, no. Something's off here. First of all, you can't ski, so what the hell are you doing with that? I wouldn't even have said nothing. If your suspicion came came alert, and you're by yourself, and you're, and I don't know where she was at the time he approached her, but if, apparently nobody was around. I wouldn't help her, help him at the time. You know, I wouldn't even help her. Well, it. Like Todd said, if the other way was around, 90% of the men would probably help a female or will be willing to help a female because she's a female. She needs help. Yeah. You know, men would, you know, they wouldn't question, they, they wouldn't question it. But if for you, for as a girl, if you're by yourself in an isolated area Even with a man. Even if he had no ski boots, I wouldn't help him with crap. That's what I'm saying. No. Exactly. So for a female, you have to be cautious and aware of your surroundings because let's say, well, obviously something did go foul. No one's there to help her. Nobody, you know, nobody heard her or nothing. So that sucks. All these women flying solo too at different times of the night or in, in out, outlining areas like Matt says, that's that's a problem. Hitchhikers and stuff. I mean, you're leaving yourself vulnerable for scumbags like this. You see a picture of her here. She's pretty, and you could tell she's like a kind person. So that's, oh, that's probably her. why, like, she didn't even think of questioning the situation. She saw the man on crutches and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. And, and that's too. And that too. You know, you see somebody initially, if you see someone who's disabled, your first initial reaction is help. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to give her too much slack on this one, but you do have a point. What is a guy on crutches doing with skis? Like, yeah, something don't seem right right there. So, Denise Lynn Oliverson, the next one, she was 25. She disappeared near the Utah-Colorado border in Grand Junction on April 6th while she was riding her bike to her parents' house. Her bike and sandals were found under a viaduct near a railroad bridge. On May 6th, Bundy lured a 12-year-old. Oh, come on. Dude. From Alameda Junior High School in Idaho. He drowned and then sexually assaulted her in his hotel room before he destroyed her body in the river of North Pocatello. 12 years old. 12. 
Is this the youngest so far? That's the youngest so far. It's yeah. the youngest. I yeah. think 16 was the youngest at the time. Yeah, 16, we were like, whoa. Yeah. 12. No. That's middle school. That's like seventh grade. And then he's going to drown her and take her back dead and drown to his hotel so he can rape her? This that, one's. That's a filthy dude, man. Mm hmm. In mid-May, three of Bundy's Washington State DES co-workers, including Carol Ann Boone, visited him in Salt Lake City and stayed for a week in his apartment. He subsequently spent a week in Seattle with Clover in early June, and then they discussed getting married the following Christmas. I don't understand this. This woman reported him three times, and now he's, she's talking marriage with him? Gabby, he's cute. <laughs> He's charming. He's not the only fish in the sea. <laughs> Apparently he is. Apparently he is in that city. Jesus. How the hell are you going to report somebody on three occasions because your gut is telling you this is him and then you're going to go and marry the murderer? Officer, I'd like to report a serial killer three months later. I do. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's like, you know what? The pros are he's very smart. He makes a lot of money. He's very cute. The cons, he disappears for a while, tends to murder women, and he's a little rapey. But he doesn't rape me, so. Man. What year was this? In the 70s? Yes. Well, what was that? Peace and love in that era? Well, that's the 60s. That was the 60s, the hippie era, right? It's part of it. Part of it? Okay. No. <laughs> so they're discussing getting married the following Christmas. Wow. Clover made no mention again that she had discussed with the King County Police anything about him. Mm-hmm. He disclosed neither his ongoing relationship with Boone nor a concurrent romance with a Utah law student known various accounts as Tim Andrews or Sharon R. So he has a relationship with three women right now. Wow. Oh, there we go. On June 28th, Susan Curtis vanished from the campus of Brigham Young University, 45 miles south of Salt Lake City. Her murder became Bundy's last confession. Tape recorded moments before he entered uh, somewhere, I won't say it yet. The bodies of Wilcox, Kent, Cunningham, Oliverson, Culver, and Curtis were never recovered. Wow. In August or September of 1975, Bundy was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he is now innocent of all charges. There you go. His sins is washed away. <laughs> Although he was not an active participant of the services well, I hope and not. ignored most church restrictions, I bet he did. He was later excommunicated by the LDS Church following his 1976 kidnapping conviction. When they asked what his religious preference was, he answered Methodist, the religion of his childhood. Wow. In Washington state, investigators were still struggling to analyze the Pacific Northwest murder spree that had ended as abruptly as it had begun. In effort to make sense of all the overwhelming mass of data, they resorted to the innovative strategy of compiling a database. They used the King County payroll computer, what they called a huge primitive machine, but the only one available for their use 
After inputting the many lists that they had compiled, classmates and acquaintances of each victim, Volkswagen owners named Ted, known sex offenders, and so on, they carried the computer for coincidences. Out of a thousand names, 26 turned up on four lists, and one of them was Ted Bundy. Mm. They also manually compiled a list of the 100 best suspects. Bundy was on that list also. Wow. So he was literally on the top of the pile of suspects when the word came from Utah of his arrest. So it wasn't until he was arrested that they were finally coming down, like getting close. Wow. It just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. Yeah. It's up to you guys. If you want me to continue now, he will get arrested. Or you want me to leave that for the next episode? That is highly up to you. Uh, right now, okay. yeah, I'm still, I'm still wrapping everything in my head. All the murderers. I, he's at least up to. I lost count, but I, if I'm not mistaken, he's almost up to twenty. You know what? I haven't counted exactly. I will do that and let you guys know exactly. Because remember, a lot of these. Um, he confessed to some, but he yeah. didn't confess to, to all. all of them. Yeah, but, but let's just be real. We not Einstein, but anyone else can see that it's got to be him. I mean, they're all close to the same facility. Like, come on. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys about his arrest in the first trial. Okay. okay. On August 16, 1975, he was arrested by a highway patrol officer, Bob Hayward. <laughs> He observed Bundy cruising a residential area in the pre-dawn hours. He fled the area at high speed after seeing the patrol car. The officer searched the car after he noticed the Volkswagen front passenger seat had been removed and placed in the rear seats. He found a ski mask, a second mask, fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pick and other items assumed to be burglary tools. I mean, all he was missing was a gun, you know? <laughs> Jeez. Bundy explained that the ski mask was for skiing, okay. that he had found the handcuffs in a dumpster, oh, okay. and the rest were just common household items. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so so the police officer for a second was like, oh, okay. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> However, <laughs> Detective Jerry Thompson oh. remembered a similar suspect and car description from November 1974, Durant kidnapping. Good for him. That was and, the girl that had. Real quick, Gabby, you said yeah. that was there was a high speed chase. He took off. That's why he pulled him over because he when he saw the the officer's car, he sped off. So he so he went like 35 in a Volkswagen. And they had to pull him over because he was going too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Those don't go very fast. They don't go that fast. Man. <laughs> thirty-five. You did thirty-five in the twenty-five. You go out of high speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh. Dang. Well, good well, on the cop. Remember, at least he remembered some details, so that's good for him. Exactly. Detective. This was not the officer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Detective Gary Tom. The detective was the one who matched him. So um, he remembered all that, and that matched his name from Clover's um, phone call in 1974. 
In a search of his apartment, they found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark by the Willwood Inn, which is where he kidnapped that other girl. Mm-hmm. And a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play in Bountiful, where Deborah Kent had disappeared. Mm-hmm. The police did not have sufficient evidence to detain him, and he was released on his own rec- reconnaissance. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Reconnaissance. Oh, okay. I've never seen that word. That's okay. But <laughs> said that searchers missed a hidden collection of Polaroid photographs of his victims. Which oh, gee. Release him. <laughs> they did not see the photos. And when he left the jail, he destroyed the photos. Oh, my gosh. The, they finally had the guy wow. that missed things. Like, how? Wow, the pictures are probably sitting on the coffee table, and they're all like, <laughs> right. "Oh, hey Jim, t- take a look at this painting, man. This painting's really nice. Yeah, I know, right? This this guy's got good taste, and he's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably standing at the door, officer. Please, take, look. You, you know, do do what you got to do, officer. They were all staring at him. Come on now." He wants to look at some family po- photos on the on the you know on the table right there. Uh. So Salt Lake City police placed him on 24-hour surveillance. Thompson flew to Seattle with two other detectives to interview the girlfriend, Culper. She told them that in a year prior to his, him moving to Utah, she discovered objects that she couldn't understand in her house and in Bundy's apartment. It was crutches. A bag of plaster of Paris that he admitted stealing from a medical supply house, and a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking. Mm. Mm. Additional objects were surgical gloves, an oriental knife in a wooden case that he kept in his glove compartment, and a sack full of women's clothing. Wow. He was also perpetually in debt, and Clover suspected that he had stolen almost everything of significant value that he possessed. When she confronted him over a new TV and stereo, he warned her, if you tell anyone, I'll break your effing neck. What a nice And she wanted to marry him? Right? See, I'm saying that phrase you guys hate. After, after. Yeah, right, right. Right. Right, right. After he threatens her her life, he gets on one knee. Will you marry me? Yes, right. <laughs> come, come on, lady. Like, ah, let me fly back to nineteen thirty-five. Jesus. She said he became very upset whenever she considered cutting her hair, which was long and parted in the middle, just mm. like the girls went after. Wow. Sometimes she would wake up in the middle of the night to find him under the bed covers with a flashlight, examining her body. Well, he kept a lug wrench taped halfway up the handle in the trunk of her car. Another Volkswagen Beetle, which he borrowed often for protection. Mm. So she drive, she drive, she drove the same car. Wow. Yeah. The detectives confirmed that Bundy had not been with Clover on any of the nights during which the Pacific Northwest victims vanished, nor on the day that Ott and Nasland were abducted. 
Clover was interviewed by Seattle homicide detective Kathy McChesney, and she learned of the existence of Stephanie Brooks and her brief engagement to Bundy around Christmas 1973. <laughs> In September, Bundy sold his Volkswagen Beetle to a mid-vale teenager. <laughs> Here, kid, I'm on. I need you to buy this. <laughs> but the Utah police impounded it, and the FBI technicians dismantled and searched it. He probably told the kids, like, he's like, it's got 140,000 miles on it, nice paint job, just a little dent in the front, a rape kit, and a, uh, you know, chains in the back, and you're good to go. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So what do you guys think? you think they found something? Heck yeah, they found something. I would hope so. Yeah, a piece of hair or something. What do you think, Todd? I hope so. They, I'm with Matt. They had to find a, a hair or a fiber or something that belonged to one of the women. So they found hairs that match samples obtained from Karen Campbell's what? body. Later, they also identified hair strands microscopically indistinguishable from those of Melissa Smith and Carol Durant. Dang. Oh, okay. They, they really did. They really did their work. Good for them. The FBI lab specialist Robert Neal concluded that the presence of hair strands in one car matching three different victims who had never met one another would be a coincidence of mind-boggling rarity. Wow. They got that right. So on October 2nd, detectives put Bundy into a lineup. Durant immediately identified him as Officer Roseland. And witnesses from Bountiful recognized him as a stranger at the high school auditorium. Good. So she he, the one that ran away. She's the her. one that got cuffed on yeah. the hand. There was insufficient evidence to link him to Deborah Kent, whose body was never found, though the skeletal fragment found near the school was later identified as her by DNA analysis. Wow. That time they couldn't identify, I mean, they couldn't pin him to her. There was more than enough evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attentive criminal assault in Durant's case. He was freed on $15,000 bond. What? Paid by his parents. What? Come on. This guy... <laughs> Let it out, Todd. This guy's a violent serial rapist and murderer, and 15000 is the highest bail you can give him? Yep. Wow. And then not only that, not only that, that that's okay. That's egregious. But if the parents bailed him out? Let me tell you something. My mom told me when I was a little kid that feared me. She said, if you ever go to jail, you'll never see me again. I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so my, if I got accused of anything, it was stealing a candy. He did it. Send him to jail. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. What? I don't know how people can be that way with their kids being so damn twisted. It's like That's insane. This is why I say the parents sometimes are also to blame because this is where he should have been on his own. Nobody should have helped him. I don't know him. Change my name. He's a disgrace to my family. I want nothing to do with him. Yep. But there goes these stupid parents. Oh, my son, my baby, my boy. He would Go never do such a thing. Bring money and let him free. <sighs> I bet yeah. even best to his parents in that moment they would have still freed him. what would pops do in that situation todd oh <laughs> well first off you'd have to like get his attention away from trains <laughs> and then 
maybe like, Joe, that's a, well, I, I just don't have 15,000. I guess you're going to have to rot for your sins. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to ask your uncle. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my uncle will be like, you're going to pay me back, right? With interest. <laughs> God damn it, uncle, you're a millionaire. You could spare 15 grand. Uh, not without interest. <laughs> That's why he's the millionaire. That's why he's the millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'll give you a low APR of uh, 49%. Or something like that. <laughs> Man, what what kind of pet? Yeah. Hey, you know, you know, if if your parents support you that much, wow. Yeah. You can do no wrong if that's the you case. You can't do no wrong. Exactly. You're right. <laughs> I just I just want to know when the FBI got there, what they asked the police, the local police, the, you know, like, hey, what you guys got in this case? Well, we got a name, his uh, a first name, Ted, last name, Bundy. Uh, he had a used a uh, fake like cast type device doohickey and he drove in a VW with a rape kit and um, a lot of people spotted him. Other than that, we got nothing. And the FBI is like, we'll handle it from here. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, Todd. Since when they get that down south country accent, <laughs> they in Utah. Hey, there's hicks up in Utah, too, man. You got a point. Go on. There's just hicks up there in Utah with, like, multiple wives. That's all it is. You got a point. You Proceed, sir. Proceed. <laughs> oh. So, after this, let me tell you what happened. I don't, I don't understand this woman. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got a laugh attack from all that. Sorry. <laughs> that was funny. So the parents paid the $15,000 bond, right? Mm-hmm. See, now you can't stop that. <laughs> Get to the point! <laughs> <laughs> Your freaking voices. <laughs> Sorry. That's Todd for you. <laughs> so he spent most of the time between the indictment and the trial. Guess where? Where? At Clover's house. Get out. He's living with her. Wow. Wait, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Hold on, Todd. Hold on. Hold on. You called the police a few months back and said, I think my boyfriend is the serial killer. A few months later, you accept, you you know, y'all planning on getting married. Then y'all don't get married. Apparently they didn't get married. He's got so many girlfriends. Months later, they the police got him. A detective discovered details about uh, the crime scene and all the details and items. They call you back and said, hey, wait a minute. Didn't you report that uh, Ted Bundy was the, the serial killer? And said, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was him. So you're a key part of his, in his arrest. And then all of a sudden, he posts bail, and yeah, you can come in my house. Yeah, so he's living with her. Get them! (laughs) (laughs) This this is the same woman that woke up to him examining her body with a flashlight at night. She's like, you don't stop with that foolery. (laughs) I mean, what's going on? What's going on with the women? You know what? God. So here's something else. Seattle police had insufficient evidence to charge him in the Pacific Northwest murders. 
but kept him under close surveillance. So, in all of those murders, okay. in the beginning, they had no evidence. They couldn't charge him with them. They found strands of... Okay, okay, that's for the... You're talking about the ones in the beginning. Yeah. The, 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 the Pacific Northwest. What's the old saying, Todd, about if it walks like a duck? Talks like a duck, it's got to be a duck. You got strands of hair of other women. Coincidentally, they didn't know each other. And they were murdered. And they were murdered. And you got several women's body who were murdered in the same facility, if not in the, approximately in the same facility. And you telling me... Eh, that's that's sufficient probable cause for me enough to get some sort of charge thrown at him white black green yellow it doesn't matter dude that's uh, to me that's enough evidence that's all i'm saying so stupid because his description was the same as all the other murders exactly. that he did commit the same thing he was doing trying to get help and all it's the same thing so why because there's no hair no blood Duh, he got rid of everything. I totally agree. You know, uh, Clover wrote, when Ted and I stepped out on the porch to go somewhere, so many unmarked police cars started up that it sounded like the beginning of the Indy 500. <laughs> was in such close surveillance by police at all times. He should be in the jail at all times. Yes. November, the three principal Bundy investigators, Jerry Thompson from Utah, Robert Keppel from Washington and Michael Fisher from Colorado met together and exchanged information. Finally, with 30 detectives and prosecutors from five states. While officials left the meeting, it was known that that meeting was known as Aspen Summit. They were convinced that Bundy was the murderer they sought. They agreed that more hard evidence would be needed before he could get charged with any of the murders. You know what? And that makes me upset that you just read that because Why, that, that's the whole problem with these cases back in the day. Mm-hmm. I bet you that summit didn't take place till everyone agreed that a certain county or a certain jurisdiction would take the lead. Like they were all fighting to see who was going to take the lead instead mm-hmm. of solving the goddamn case. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. That is so dumb. So it's like finally everybody agreed, but now they need evidence. And like you weren't doing your homework then. What's gonna get you the evidence now? Oh my God. Yeah, most of the bodies are, you know. In February 1976, Bundy stood trial for the Durant kidnapping. On the advice of his attorney, John O'Connell, he waived his right to a jury due to the negative negative publicity surrounding the case. Oh gee, I wonder why. After four days of trial and a weekend of deliberation, Judge Stuart Hansen Jr. found him guilty of kidnapping and assault. In June, he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in state prison. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <sighs> 1 to 15. So you tell me if he served one year, he could it possibly matched, get out. It matched his bail, 15,000. Wow. No more than 15 years. Wow. In October, he was found hiding in bushes in the prison yard, carrying an escape kit. What? Airline schedules and a social security card. He spent several weeks in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. And they want to let him out after one year? Yep, go ahead. Later that month, Colorado... 
Right. Later that month, Colorado authorities charged him with Karen Campbell's murder. After a period of resistance, he waived extradition proceedings and was transferred to Aspen in January 1977. I am going to leave it here because what comes next is unbelievable and you two will stay in suspense until next week. Wow. I'm not liking the fact that he gets moved to Aspen. That sounds more of like a resort than a, another prison. Hey, I've been to Aspen, Colorado. It's nice. It's really nice. It's like the Beverly Hills of Colorado. Man, even I was treated nice out there. That's, that's how, how good it was. <laughs> that's how good Aspen Wow. <laughs> Trust me, man. I had random white people coming up to me and treating me nice. I was like, wait a minute. Where am I? <laughs> I know Matt. Matt looks like uh, what was that lady from um, uh, the Hills Are Alive? What's that one? That one? You know, oh, Sound of yeah. Music. You're like in the middle of the mountains after they they recognize you and treat you nice. You're all, I love Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man, I'm not liking this story. Not one bit. I never knew nothing about Ted Bundy. I finally don't recognize him as Al, so you know he's not Al Bundy. Anymore. You saw his photo now. I see his photo right now. See, I don't see the handsomeness that everyone's seeing. But well, think about this is the seventies. You got a point. That okay. Was okay, that was handsome back then. And see, when when I thought this story was turning for the good because Gabby's like the FBI is taking over, they're doing this and that. Apparently, they gave the crown right back to those bungling cops from the local towns because. <laughs> Jeez, a freaking Louise. Man. I'm a little upset right now, Todd. I'm a little upset. I'm a little upset. I'm right there with you. I'm a little upset. I guarantee you if his name was Julio Johnson or, or, or Jose Diaz, this wouldn't even be a story. He'd have been arrested. He would be faced. He would be dead by now. Well, maybe that was his social security card when they caught him. It was Jose Diaz or something. <laughs> Come on. Hey. So, yeah. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's disgusting. He grosses me out. Well, one thing that baffles me, like, I just, I don't understand. That woman... I don't oh, get a, it. A Kefler? A Kefler? Like, you have, like, a freaking decade or more with this guy. He hasn't married you how he said he would. Clearly, he's a player. Then you know all these murders were committed by him. I mean, what more do you need? It was already recognized as him. Then you're going to go and pick him up after he comes out on bail and take him to live to your home? That can only mean one thing, Todd. Uh, yep, I'm right there with you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> No, 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 not no accomplice. Let's just say he's good. Uh, he's a he's a carpenter. He's a carpenter, and he's good at laying the wood. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we boys. We didn't have to say one word. <laughs> we both knew exactly what we were talking about. He must have been definitely good at laying down wood as a carpenter. I know. <laughs> you know, she tells her friend, you know. When they're just talking girl talk, you know, he, he's a murderer and he, he dismembers women, but he doesn't do it to me. But man, he can lick the wood like no other carpenter. 
that could only mean one thing because he ain't got money apparently mm -hmm. he's clearly crazy he's clearly psychotic well clearly she's crazy because that's bigger than anything else Whoa. no pun intended wait no pun intended but uh maybe the wood made her crazy <laughs> who knows going a little too far here. <laughs> Oh my God! I wish there was a picture of her. I, I, I wanted to see what she looked like. What she looks like. Um, I'll search it up. We'll yeah. figure it out right now. A very interesting story to says right now. This is part two. We're barely in part two, and I'm already getting upset. So I can just imagine what part three is going to do. Because you said you can't wait to tell me or tell us. So <sighs> I want to tell you guys, but no, we will see. But okay. A serious note, though, I am very dis like disheartened the fact that so many of these young women and these were all yes. young women all yeah. lost their lives with girls yeah especially the 12 year old i mean no murder is acceptable but come on yeah it's a, a little bit like that the 12 and 16 year old come on now yep the 12 year old has really pissed me off yeah these, these girls didn't get a chance to live their life that's exactly that's... he made the, he made their choice for them yeah that, that's that's yeah, that's jacked up. Yeah, and I just want to make it clear too. We we did a lot of laughing in this episode, but it was not anything to the crimes or the victims. It was just the bungling idiot cops and detectives that just can't do a job right. Exactly, and we do make jokes on certain things, but not the killing. So yeah, absolutely. We don't want you guys to think we're you know. We're, yeah, we're not making fun of yeah. like the seriousness of what he did. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're we're all family here. Me and Todd, we go a few years back, but we're like brothers, and you know, this is my wife, so we understand each other's lingo. We, we understand each other's talk. So if we did offend you by our laughter, we do apologize. But we're not being we're not laughing at the crime. We're just laughing at some of the mishaps of these officers. And, yeah. Yeah. It's basically a story being told, and this is our reactions. And, and it's okay to laugh at the parts that just are obviously laughable because you think if they actually did their job, we wouldn't be laughing. We wouldn't be telling a story so tragic. Maybe they catch them after two or three murders, but good grief, you know? So, yeah, it's it's a true crime story. It's But, you know, you, you got to also mix it up a little bit because yeah. – Otherwise, we're just telling a 48 hours on Discovery. <laughs> you got to have some kind of emotion other than seriousness. Exactly. There you go. So we, hey, we keep it real. Let's just put it like that. Mm -hmm. So, well, that is part two, ladies and gentlemen, of the Ted Bundy story uh, brought to in a part by our narrator for today. Gabby. Yes, Gabby. Yeah, and we're going to tell you who's the other host of this show. Todd Fox. And, of course, I'm the other host of the show, Maddie Matt. And we're going to be signing off. But before we do, I want to let you guys know, please follow us on our um, Facebook and Instagram page, the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Also listen to our previous recordings from the past by Todd, myself, and Gabby. Um, so follow us on our podcast stream, such as Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, Anchor, and all those good places that you listen to your podcast with all that being said we're signing off this is maddie matt and gabby gabby and Todd fox we'll see you later
Toodles.